welcome to you all who are here, those who are on Facebook Live, who will watch YouTube later. Welcome to everyone. We have been exploring the book of Acts and the formation of the beloved community of Jesus followers, the emergence of the church. After Jesus was resurrected, he spent 40 days with his followers, and then he ascended to heaven with a promise to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus' followers gathered together, they prayed and waited, and then the Holy Spirit descended upon them on Pentecost. Remember Pentecost? Filling them with a new power and new perception about God. The apostles proclaim the good news about Jesus, and they find curious listeners who become believers. You know, disciple versus apostle, what do those words mean? Disciple means a learner, and an apostle is one sent out, and in this context, sent out for God. This is the last sermon in our series from Acts. And so we're seeking God's guidance in becoming and remaining and growing as the beloved community. So let's pray. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit that you might use your scripture and my words to form us and guide us and empower us to be your community, flowing with love and grace for each other and the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So listen to our second scripture reading. It is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 43 to 47. Awe came upon everyone because of many wonders and signs being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. People are amazed that these humble ex-fishermen, tax collectors, and other ordinary guys, they're now full of persuasive hope and power. The movement grows and the beloved community expands. And people share their needs with each other and they receive help. Grace flows when you're real about your needs, when you don't hide yourself. Grace flows when you share what you have, knowing that it's a gift from God that you have it. Thus you share it. So these followers, they live their real lives together, not just in formal and ritual ways in the temple, but in each other's homes, in each other's lives. They're, lump, they're loving and humble with each other. And outsiders, outsiders, they notice. They become intrigued and they seek to learn more. These Jesus followers are unlike other faith communities in the ancient Near East. They're open to newcomers. They don't create barriers. And we experience this too. Grace flows through the fullness and breadth of our lives together, shared together not just during weekly worship, but throughout the week. So what is grace? How do we define that? It's that good news through Jesus' own welcome that we're perfectly whole and loved, not due to our own merit, but due to the gift of God. Because of grace, we belong to God and we belong to each other. Grace is that unmerited favor that can't be earned. Paul describes it well in Ephesians. 
chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So if you were to read the whole book of Acts, which we aren't going to do, you would find that there are no less than eight sections that repeat the same themes about the completeness of life together for these followers of Jesus, completeness of the community. And in, in each instance, you would see that grace is proclaimed through teaching, and it flows into grace embodied in their life together in their community. Now, how many of you plan to go to the ocean this summer? How many have been to the ocean and can imagine the flow of the ocean waves? Grace is a gift. Imagine this that flows like the ocean. It fills our inner yearning. It expands throughout the community and cycles back and leads back to the source, to God and his word. You know, humans have a yearning for God, even when some don't have that language for God. Are you familiar with that description of people, self-description sometimes, when people say they're spiritual but not religious? Sometimes people say that to me if I tell them I'm a pastor on an airplane. <laughs> but here's the thing. People are eternal spiritual beings, and they have this innate yearning for God. There is a human need for meaning and belonging. It's present for all humans, but sometimes denied in a contemporary culture where outward appearance and success are paramount. For many people, this yearning breaks through when life is hard, when they experience a loss, when something is too big for them. So here's also something we know in our cultural context. People who don't know God don't have an idea that they're sinful. They're more troubled by the idea of the brokenness that surrounds them. They're more troubled by an unrealized yearning, a seeking of meaning. I remember being in my 20s before I was a believer, and I wasn't concerned about my sin. I was concerned about death. I was concerned about the meaning of life. I was a successful young person in the corporate world, but I felt like I was an imposter. And I felt alone in these thoughts. I didn't feel known by anyone. I knew the world wasn't quite right, that brokenness and darkness were lurking in the corners, but I didn't have the self-awareness to know some of that brokenness, some of that darkness was my own sin. Oh, I knew the shame of not being perfect, of not being good enough, but I didn't have the language of sin. And I think there are a lot of people like that who are unsatisfied, disconnected, lonely, who don't feel known in their deepest being. They crave something real, and that's part of the human condition. So Pascal was a 17th century a writer, theologian, and mathematician who was born on June 19th, 1623. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Happy birthday. He developed theories on my favorite math. I did have a favorite math, statistics and probability. And he wrote something that really resonates about our human yearnings to God, our human yearnings and how they point to God. He wrote, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but there was once in man a true happiness of which all that remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries to fill in vain with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there 
the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help. This infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. So we who follow Jesus, we are filled with grace where we were once empty. In ordinary ways, we display the wonder of the gospel in kind and loving community. And what happened in the early formation of the church happens today. Grace is primarily learned in community through people, people like us. We are agents of God's grace that help people find their way to God. And sometimes that might feel contradictory to our culture of modern thinkers who live individualistic lives, who envision that self-improvement and self-actualization learning is an individual endeavor. It isn't. We learn with and through each other. Now, we would all like if there was undeniable proof from Scripture that we could hand to everyone and convict them of the grace and truth of Jesus. People have tried that, those gospel tracts. We'd like it for ourselves if that worked, too. But it rarely works that way, and that's why those four-point evangelism presentations, they don't work. Relationship and community is how God demonstrates grace because the community of believers is God's grace moving through the world. The apostles told those who would listen, and they shared the narrative about what God has done and continues to do. And then they showed them. They showed them through loving and kind actions of community, of meals shared together, of welcome where there was a culture of separateness. It was all about the movements and the action of God. That's the gospel, the movement of God. One of my seminary professors, John Goldengay, put it this way. The explicit Old Testament gospel is your God is reigning. Yahweh has comforted his people, restored Jerusalem, and bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And so the gospel begins at the opening of the Old Testament and runs its story into the New Testament. And this part's important, friends. The biblical gospel is not a collection of timeless statements, such as God is love. It's a narrative about the things that God has done. It's action and movement. The Christian community is to embody, to actively live out that narrative of what God has done, witnessing to each other and the world by our actions and our community. It looks like a lot of things, of course. It looks like worshiping together here, taking time to watch online later, connecting with people. So there are times when we worship together, and there are times of community, food, and fellowship, like the barbecue last week, when you're in a space of warm community and kindness, where you experience people as sincere and open-hearted. And then there are times of witnessing and storytelling, stories about what God has done in a person li person's life. So last week after church, several people shared about their experiences that we had on our pilgrimage to Israel and Palestine. Maybe people learned a little bit of information about the Holy Land, but what I kept hearing about throughout the week, time and time again, is that they experienced the personal stories of grace from my husband Dave Rader and Carolyn Rosen and Diana Cook. And now they're wondering, what is she going to say? I see their faces. <laughs> what I've heard all week, though, is 
I can't repeat it to the beauty of what they shared, but what I heard all week is that people felt they knew Dave, Carolyn, and Diana better. They heard stories of grace. They heard from Dave that he found God in Jacob's well. He found God's grace and encouragement to be a deep source of grace to others. They saw how he was so moved as he talked about the visit we had to the underground compound where Jesus was beaten before crucifixion. They heard from Carolyn about the power of prayer in sacred places when God uses all of our senses and our gifts and our experiences to draw us in into a holy place. They heard about Diana's experience of new freedom as she left emotional weight, or as she called it, baggage, in the Jordan River while she commemorated her baptism. Stories like this reinforce the idea of the community as a place to be known. Sometimes we find this community in smaller settings, in a grove group, in a conversation with a spiritual friend where you can know and be known, where grace can be shared. Sometimes the community looks like an intentional space of care for each other's needs. Remember how the believers cared for each other's needs? Sometimes it's a place of private and intimate community, help from a pastor, from your deacon, from a Stephen minister. Maybe it's financial help, which the church provides. But grace-filled community isn't in just internally focused on this church, on these people. It's also a witness to God's care and grace for the world. When we show up and listen and care, when we show up when we know things are not right in this world, when we showed up for the Las Gatas walk against hate in our community and people noticed all our blue shirts. It's also when we gather to connect and serve siblings in Christ that are our neighbors, like our group going to Mexico, serving with the more, seeking to be part of what God is already doing with the community there. And it also looks like pausing with our usual hosts on the trip down Geneva Presbyterian Church, praying for them and with them, and leaving prayer shawls. That's the church that experienced the shooting in the Taiwanese congregation. That's how we show grace. That's how we are part of God's movement in the world. Those early disciples gathered to praise God, and they had the goodwill of all the people because the gospel of grace means that God's good news is for all the world. Our text tells us that the believers praise God and they have the favor and grace of all the Gentiles, all the nations who are watching them because they were distinctive. Church, let's be distinctive because the good news is not just for insiders, but it's for the world because grace is expansive. Grace flows like the ocean. So everyone's journey to grace is different. Some hear the words of grace in the Bible and it strikes their heart as genuine and they come to believe. Some see a beloved community where being known and real provides a counterbalance to the hardness of the world. And they come to understand the grace and truth of Jesus after they come to know God's community. It's that idea that sometimes people find a place to belong first before they belong to the Lord. And that's okay. That's part of God's design to know more people. Sometimes it just happens that way. 
And some of you know it's true because you've told me stories that it's happened to you. You wandered into this church. You sought community for one reason or another, often in a transition of life. And then you came to know Jesus. Some of you, and I've heard your stories, you know about the power of addiction recovery groups organized around 12 steps, which are actually based on Christian principles. This is where people acknowledge that they're broken and that they need a higher power. And this is what often happens. People grow and seek that higher power, the grace of Jesus Christ often witnessed by those who are their sponsors who've gone before them. As we share where God has healed us in our brokenness, that's a powerful witness. So I once served in a large church as the minister of care and recovery. Can you guess where most of my new leaders originated from? The divorce and, recovery, the divorce and relationship recovery group. Truly. A bunch of them came to the church not because of a perceived idea of their sinfulness, because they were yearning and hurting is why. They were looking for a space to be loved and to be seen in their grief. And the amazing thing was that we had a big group that came who weren't Christian, but they came to know Jesus through the grace that they received. I was really surprised to discover that we had a lot of these people referred by their attorneys because the program was free. Yep, Jesus' grace is free. Grace flows freely. So think about your own life. Where have you seen grace flow freely? In your life? or through a story shared with you? You know, come and see, go and do. Come and see about grace here. Go and do love and kindness. Show grace throughout all the world because grace keeps moving, friends, into the needy places, into the ordinary places in our lives. God uses community of each of us to share that grace, and we have the capacity to share that whenever needs arise, if we're open to it, if we leave our hearts soft to each other. You know, this passage, when it was assigned to me, I remembered, and I dug out a piece of paper that at the beginning of our return to worship after being isolated in COVID, Pastor Dave gathers a small group of leaders, and he brought this very passage, and he said, this will be our focus for the year. And does that feel right? Does that feel like that's been our focus as we've sought to come back to community? Because we yearned to reconnect after a time of isolation. I think Pastor Dave was right. This was the thing to focus on. So what does it mean for us now, though? How are we to respond? I'd say take a risk and be known in this community. Know each other. Be willing to open yourself up to a new spiritual friend. Say yes to serving in the church. Say yes to serving outside the church. Be open. Be ready to be a flow of grace. Be willing to open yourself up to sharing your needs with your deacon, with a pastor, asking for a Stephen minister. And if you are someone new, Take the risk and reach out, but if you are someone who's been here for a while, if you have a wonderful circle that you love, stretch out a bit. Invite in somebody who's new. 
You know, sometimes it feels like there's just a little more space to summer. Maybe it's a different mode. Maybe it's longer daytime hours. But take that space, that change of routine. Use that time to stretch out to somebody else. And of course, stretching out, remember that image in our minds of the ocean that rolls out, the movement of the waves. Grace always gathers us back and leads us to the source, right? If you sit and watch the waves, they go out and the water recedes back to the source, leading back to God and his word would be my metaphor. We cycle back to prayer, to God's word, like the pattern that we find in the books of, book of Acts that keeps repeating this pattern of what is the complete community coming back to God. We need that. We gather together. For a grace-filled community needs to refill back at the source. We see the early church gathers for teaching. They gather for learning. We need that. We need to come on Sunday. We need to watch worship and gather together. But you don't see them read. You know, somebody asked me that. Why? Well, they were an oral culture. But you, you friends, have the word at home. You have the ocean in your own hands when you open the Bible. You have the movement of God to fill you up. It's told in that narrative story of the gospel. Because grace is a gift from God that flows like the ocean. It fills our inner yearning. It expands and moves through us as the beloved community where we are known and know each other, where we care for each other. So friends, let's share the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ with each other in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all the church said, amen. amen.